So you can ask yourself, does this practice encourage either turning away and avoiding versus turning towards and accepting? I love that because I think that so many of these things are about acceptance and are about understanding that we in the world have things that we can control and things that we can't control. And I think at its best, maybe things like spirituality allow us to be able to see our place in the world and that we are smaller than we think we are in a lot of ways, but that we also have the capacity to change and make things better or worse. And we have the capacity to talk to our partners about challenges that we have and that we face. And so if your practice enables you to be able to do that, if your meditation allows for some clarity, for instance, then that's great. But if you are doing meditation to try to get away from a problem, maybe that's an issue. Welcome to the Multi-Amory Podcast. I'm Jace. I'm Emily. And I'm Dedeker. We believe in looking to the future of relationships, not maintaining the status quo of the past. Whether you're monogamous, polyamorous, swinging, casually dating, or if you just do relationships differently, we see you and we're here for you. On this episode of the Multi-Amory Podcast, we're talking about spiritually bypassing relationship problems. Even if you do not have a spiritual practice, or even if you don't identify as spiritual in any way, all of us have tactics that we use to avoid facing reality and avoid feeling tough emotions when we're in difficult circumstances. In this episode, we're going to talk about why we do this, what spiritual bypassing can look like in real life, and how to tell the difference between healthy coping mechanisms and avoidance tactics. If you're interested in learning more about our fundamental communication tools that we reference on this show all the time, you should check out our book, Multi-Amory, Essential Tools for Modern Relationships. It covers some of our most used communication tools for all types of relationships. You can find links to buy it at multiamory.com book or wherever fine books are sold. Alternatively, you can check out the first nine episodes of this podcast, where we also go over some of our most widely used and shared communication tools. And with that, let's get into it. All right. So spiritual bypassing, bypasses. Why are we talking about this? I mean, when you hear the term spiritual bypassing, are you familiar with it? Does it bring anything to mind for the two of you? It brings you to mind. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm like, this is a very Dedeker-centric episode. Oh, there's a reason I wrote this episode. I have some lived experience. (laughs) Yeah, I I do. I think the concept and the term really came to light just when you were talking about the fact that in certain past relationships of yours that maybe weren't great ones, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you tended to sort of zen the anger, zen, you know, the challenges away, or at least try to do that. But that unfortunately, it didn't allow for what you needed, which was to talk about the problems, address the problems more head on. Uh, And I get that. I get this really strong idea to just maybe if I can change something about myself internally and figure out a way to not care so much or not have something hurt me as much or not feel as triggered by something 
something, then it's all going to be okay. But in reality, I think in relationships, especially, it takes two to tango and we got to address things with the other person, not just with ourselves. Yeah, that's the tragedy of all of it is the times in my life I've been the most on top of meditation and doing yoga the most Mm. religiously, like every damn day has been when I've been in super shitty relationships where I didn't necessarily feel empowered to change things. Whether that was a problem with me where I'm like, I I feel too scared to ask for what I need or I, I don't really want to be vulnerable in discussing my feelings or a problem with the other person where they're just like an asshole, like seriously, like an mm-hmm. abusive asshole where it's like, even if I bring up those things, it's not going to change. Right. But I still feel like I need to be in the relationship. And so the only tactic is I got to get really, really spiritual with it just to get through my day. So mm-hmm. I, I think I'm a fender number one in my own life that I know of. Yeah, I I definitely hadn't heard this term until you first said it to me years ago, and I have seen it around since then. But thinking back, it's like, yeah, there have definitely been times in my life where I've done that. And I see it a lot in a lot of relationship and kind of self-help circles out there. Honestly, even in like self-help for moms, for example, or Mm. for parents, is a lot of this kind of rather than it's, it's almost like, okay, bear with me on this metaphor here. It's kind of like when you look at tidying up a home that one approach is figure out, you know, what you need, what you don't, like what sparks joy, kind of a Marie Kondo sort of way of approaching it. Or there's the just find better ways to organize it all so you can cram more stuff into your same amount of space. Hmm. Or like with scheduling, it's like rather than fix the fact that you're overcommitted and that you hate the stuff you do, it's like, let's try all these different techniques for how you can more efficiently get stuff done so that you can still do all the things you're trying to do. I tend to fall into that camp very much, which I would say is like almost like the scheduling version of the spiritual bypassing. It's like, rather than fix the problem, let me find better ways to cope with just having this thing keep going. That does track because you are often the guy who's like, I'm going to try this new scheduling tactic or I'm going to try this AI assistant or I'm going to try doing time logging or, and I don't think any of those approaches are bad in and of themselves, but totally get that. Yeah, they're kind of trying to make an unbearable state bearable rather than actually changing the state itself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're going to be discussing that theme a lot in this episode. Yeah, Yeah, I recall way back when Jace and I were starting to kind of get into the non-monogamous community. I don't know if you ever attended these parties with Aesthetiker, but we would go to some like really, really big parties for people in the polyamorous community. And Mm -hmm. often it was populated, at least in Los Angeles, with a lot of like the super hippie, super spiritual, super yoga, vegan, you know, and I'm some of those things. So (laughs) not to bash anyone. But it felt like there was almost this kind of pull towards non-monogamy and those things as well which I find interesting. It's like one sort of weirdo intersects with another sort of weirdo and we're all just going to be like fun, loving, free loving, hippie weirdos together, maybe or something. So I I don't know if if you've seen that as well, Dedeker, that there's like we're all enlightened and therefore free love and therefore let's just spiritually bypass our issues away. Oh, well, we have a we have inherited a wonderful heritage 
of that, right? Like going back to the 60s and 70s free love movements, right? Yeah. Where it really was about like, we're going to literally drop out of society because we figured out a better way to live, which is, I think, a very natural response. And people go through it of to recognizing, hey, the systems that we're living under don't really work for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But but also tying it to, yeah, that sense of enlightenment, you know, and if we just if we just think all the same way, then we can solve all the problems. Or if we just have enough love, we can solve all the problems, which maybe that solves some problems, but never solves all of the problems. Yeah. So let's get into the term spiritual bypassing itself, right? Because maybe uh, as the listener, maybe you've heard of this before. Maybe you haven't. It is a relatively new word or term. Uh, It was actually coined in 1984. So not that long ago, as far as words go, at least. Uh, So the term spiritual bypassing was first coined by psychologist and Buddhist teacher John Wellwood in 84 to describe the use of spirituality to legitimize certain behaviors or to avoid dealing with psychological challenges, such as painful feelings or unhealed wounds. So basically, this came about because he would observe a lot of people who were using their spiritual practice to do things like deny their own self-identity or their own personal needs and kind of using that spiritual practice as a replacement for that. So that would be like reading books on spirituality, engaging in spiritual practices, going on retreats, following particular teachers, you know, very devotedly participating in like every single church gathering they can go to, you know, whatever flavor of spirituality it was for them. And that while doing those things isn't inherently bad, it led them to not address the things that were actually going on in their life with the assumption that if I just do this thing enough, those problems will get solved for me. That like my, whatever my issues are, will just be addressed by me focusing on this thing rather than actually addressing the issue itself. And so he came up with this term spiritual bypassing to describe that phenomenon that he started noticing. I'm really intrigued by John Wellwood, and I wish I had more time to look into him specifically because he wrote many, many books, not about this phenomenon, about other things. You know, he wrote a lot about psychology and things like that, a little bit about Buddhism. And I know he's not the first guy to have a moment like this, but I just imagine that moment, a little bit of, you know, the emperor has no clothes moment where it's like, okay, I see in this particular spiritual community, we're all doing these things, but I feel like I can kind of see where this isn't exactly a perfect approach. And there's a lot of flaws and a lot of things that people are glossing over. And, Mm. you know, being the guy to point that out, which I'm sure is maybe not easy, I'm sure probably stirred up a fair amount of controversy and and pushback. Yeah, Yeah, probably wasn't very popular. Yeah, for sure. From an article called The Only Way Out is Through the Peril of Spiritual Bypass, which was published in Counseling and Values, this article says spiritual bypass occurs when a person attempts to heal psychological wounds at the spiritual level only and avoids the important, albeit often difficult and painful work at other levels, including the cognitive, physical, emotional and interpersonal. And I think when I hear the word spiritual, I know that that encompasses a lot of potentials, but it does make me think about, for instance, some of the people that I see on social media who say, like, I'm going through stuff that's really difficult right now, but, you know, God will get me through it, or I just need to look to the Lord or look to someone, anyone, or look to my spirituality in order 
to kind of get clarity about that thing. And I've always been puzzled by that because on our other show, (laughs) our (laughs) other podcast, famously, I am not a spiritual person or was raised in any spiritual way at all. And so I'm always curious about that because it's kind of looking outward away from you to try to help you feel better or fix internal issues. So I, I just am like, what's going what's going on with that? Can can you elaborate, all y'all? <laughs> uh, I think that's an interesting point you bring up too, because it also shows how this isn't just like a if you do this, you are spiritual, but spiritual bypassing and that's bad. They're like none of those three things equal each other. That it's not just doing a thing equals spiritual bypassing and it's not even spiritual bypassing always equals bad, which we'll get into as we go through this episode. But that that one's an interesting one because it's like a meditation practice or prayer or, you know, having that faith that God's going to help you figure something out can be really helpful and can help you get perspective and get you out of your own head, maybe change your just sort of emotional attachment to this that hopefully can empower you to then actually do something and address the issue. But it's when it gets to this point where that's all you're doing and not addressing the thing is where it kind of crosses over into this not sustainable, like not healthy in the long term way of doing things. So that's that's such an interesting point to kind of seeing it from the outside and being like, I don't know which one it is. Yeah. And I guess we can't ever really know that about someone else. Yeah. Sure. I, and maybe maybe it's obvious for some sometimes you're like pretty sure. That's what's going on. But But yeah, as a preview, like later in the episode, we are going to discuss what's the difference between spiritual bypassing and just having a healthy coping mechanism, because there's quite a bit of overlap in that Venn diagram. So we're going to hit you with one more definition. So this is from a study titled The Opiate of the Masses, Measuring Spiritual Bypass and Its Relationship to Spirituality, Religion, Mindfulness, Psychological Distress, and Personality. This was published in 2017 in spirituality and clinical practice. So they say, quote, it's a defensive psychological posture cultivated by a tendency to privilege or exaggerate spiritual beliefs, emotions, or experiences over and against psychological needs, creating a means of avoiding or bypassing difficult emotions or experiences. So that was a little more clinical and a little bit more heady, but I think we start to get the gist of the definition of spiritual bypassing. But I wanted to dive into a list of what this actually looks like in real life because it's very multifaceted and I think it can show up and look many different ways. And the first thing that I want to clarify is that spiritual bypassing or avoidance behaviors can happen with any belief system, whether you're Christian, Buddhist, Muslim, whether you adhere to some kind of just general spiritualishness. But also, even if you don't have a belief, even if you identify strongly with something like Stoicism, for instance, that can still be manipulated in a particular way to help you avoid a problem rather than actually solving a problem. Yeah, specifically, we talked about that in our Toxic Positivity episode, which was 324. And it's kind of that idea that, you know, you just need to be more positive or be more cheerful or look on the bright side, throwing around those kind of platitudes. Or I think if you're Christian, for example, something that I've heard, but again, don't know much about (laughs) is throwing things like scripture around. So 
maybe saying like you're having a hard time, just pray about it. Yeah, the the just pray about it. I mean, I was raised Christian and it was such a shutdown to a conversation, mm. especially often if I was going to someone for maybe like a T3, right? Like I, I need I need advice or I need some help problem solving or I need some help making a decision. And sometimes what would come back is like, oh, just pray about it, which <laughs> often was helpful. Well, often it was the person just being like, I don't want to think about your problems or I have no idea how, like what advice I would give here. And so that's the best that I can do. Or it literally is like, I don't have the time to talk about this right now. Like any number of things, like, we'll just pray about it. Just pray about it. Just pray about it. You know, which to me, felt like a true nothing <laughs> statement, right? Especially <laughs> when I was a young a person off. still figuring out myself and my life, right? That I'm like, well, I don't, like, that doesn't help me at all. Right. Yeah, saying things like, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. I've heard mm-hmm. that one a lot. And that's tough, too, because if you really want something to happen, for instance, and, you know, you're anxious about it, and you want to discuss something with another person, and they're like, well... If it's meant to be, it's meant to be. And we get that with relationships all the time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like if you are having a hard time with a relationship or if you just got broken up with or you can't like find a relationship or something along those lines, a lot of people will just say, oh, well, you need to love yourself first before Mm -hmm. somebody is going to love you. There's things like just forgive and forget Or you just need to raise your vibration. I don't know what that means. Oh, yeah. But talk about an L.A. classic. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, Which I still am like (laughs) puzzled by what that even means. And then, yeah, uh, love is all you need. Like, you don't need other things in life. Just love. I don't know. There's some truth to that. But I mean, mean, the Beatles did write that song that I do enjoy. It's a good Um, song. It is an enjoyable song, but also an inaccurate statement, (laughs) I would say. Yeah. No, it's it's funny, actually. I was going to say that one, when you were saying this list, Emily, one that came to my mind was one that you say a lot, which is, it is what it is. Oh, yeah, that's my mom's sentence. Oh, really your mom that. getting called out. It's generational, oh, generational vibe housing. <laughs> yeah, there you go. No, I mean, yeah. you know, that's just more like, well, what can I do about it? Well, but exactly. Or that's, it's That's fine. kind of the no, theme. Yeah. That's the theme to these ones is that, yeah, there are times where it's like, yeah, it is what it is. Or if it's meant to be, it'll be in terms of I'm freaking out, waiting to find out if I got a job. It's like, well, you can't do anything about it anymore. Mm. So that makes sense. It's like, well, if it's meant to be, it'll happen or whatever yeah. comforts you, right? That's true. But if it's my partner treats me really shitty and it's like, well, it is what it is. It's like, no, no, that's not how that works. Like mm-hmm. you do actually have some agency here and you can do something about this, even if that something might be leaving the relationship, right? So it's... sure. It's that, right? The They can be either one. I think, well, I appreciate that so far in this episode, all three of us have ide- clearly identified how we all Lazy throw this each other in different... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we all yeah. have our particular flavors of this. There you go. Right. Uh, yeah, so another example of how this can look in real life, um, I've definitely done this one sometimes too, which is constantly seeking out these blissed states via substances or meditation or yoga or sex or kink or lifting heavy weights is one that I did to get through a hard time in my life. (laughs) Something that that kind of puts your body into a more intense state through like an external stimulus. I don't even know if I would put meditation on this exact list here, although it certainly can do that. But I'm thinking like with sex or 
kink, you know, with like pain or substance use, you know, drinking or getting high, that that kind of thing, it's like you're sort of externally influencing your body chemistry to try to numb out, I guess, and get away from it. We also mentioned in that study called The Opiate of the Masses, which is talking about religion and spirituality, but like I've also heard people reference things like television as being the opiate of the masses Mm -hmm. in a modern day, where it's Mm -hmm. kind of this, rather than address my problems, I'm just going to find ways to distract to get away from it. Some other ways this can show up in relationships is things like thinking that if you and your partner have the same spiritual practice or beliefs, that that will sustain the relationship. That is very important to some people, though. Oh, sure. Yeah, Yeah. that, you know, I'm only going to be in a relationship with someone who shares the same religion as myself, for instance. sometimes that can lead to, I meet someone, oh, we both love Jesus? Great. That's really all we need. That's a good point. Like, we don't necessarily need to sit down and talk about our compatibilities, what we really want, test out Mm -hmm. how do we live together, how do we work through conflict. It really is like, Jesus, Jesus or this it. particular spiritual practice can save us, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's the thing. So, so it's, right. yeah, I don't want to... It's like a way of overriding all the other important stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't want to throw those people under the bus because, yeah, I, I do think that having some sense of spiritual compatibility is is a wonderful thing to look for in a relationship and can be a really important foundational piece of connection. And also, like Jay said, like sometimes that can just override or you can be lean on that a little too heavily. Yeah. You know, the the other way I've seen this one is especially when people are starting out with polyamory or non-monogamy, it's like, I finally found someone who is comfortable being non-monogamous because I've struggled with that. I've just got to make this work, even though they treat me like shit and they aren't very honest and, you know, all these other bad things, or we're just really not compatible in these other important ways. But finally, I found one person, the one person in the world who's like actually okay with non-monogamy can be another example of Mm. Uh, there's this one thing in common that I think is hard to find. And so I'm going to try to let that blanket over everything else. Uh, So then this can also show up in kind of a a negative way toward other people, like avoiding contact with people who you consider not spiritual enough or unspiritual, where it's kind of like, oh, you know, no, no bad vibes here, right? Which can lead you to be really not compassionate, I guess, to, to others and just kind of like, no, I can't, can't deal with anyone's problems. Sorry, if you're having a problem, talk to someone else. Not That's not me. Well, speaking of no bad vibes, that leads to this wonderful term that I ran across in the literature, which is anger phobia. So it is this idea, you know, someone who refuses to feel or at least outwardly display things like disappointment, aggression, frustration, envy, jealousy, basically a disconnection from all negative emotional experience. And that can also manifest as, you know, refusing to confront other people, refusing to challenge other people, avoiding disagreeing with other people. Because again, like sometimes these emotions get this weird bad rap of if you're feeling this at all, you're not spiritual enough, or you're not enlightened enough, or you're not using your spiritual tools well enough. And so not only can you not show it, it's also bad for you to even feel it. Hmm. Yeah. And non-monogamous people kind of get told that often when it comes to things like jealousy, that, you know, you're not doing it right or you need to figure your shit out if you ever feel jealousy. 
because that's mm. really not okay. Which, you know, we've talked about so many times. Jealousy is normal. It's understandable. It's okay. Well, fun tangent about that. Something that came up in our last video discussion group for our Patreon community. Someone brought up the fact that they feel like they've identified a little bit of like a polyamorous microcultural split where it's like people who became non-monogamous or polyamorous before 2015 or so most likely got raised on this set of morals that was like, like you said, Emily, if you're feeling jealousy, you're doing it wrong or you're doing mm. something bad. And that like post 2015, there was more of a shift towards no jealousy is normal. No polyamorous people do feel a jealousy. Like, no, it's okay to feel this. And I thought that wow. was really fascinating. Wow. Fascinating. I'm, like the fact that it's pinned down to roughly a year of when you started being non-monogamous. I, I think it, tr I think it tracks really interesting. from my own anecdotal experience. I'm, I would love to hear from other people. Yeah, I wonder why. If they yeah. agree with this. What happened? They, I don't know what happened. I know for me, I think 2015, 2016 was a year where, there, I mean, there was a lot of cultural change in general. But for me, that's always the year that I cite where I started seeing many more people being out as mm. non-monogamous. There was something that mm. shifted and maybe it was tied to you know, the U.S. legalizing same-sex marriage. There were a lot of different it's cultural true. influences going on at the time, but yeah, I wonder I if, like, the fact that a, a, a really great non-monogamy podcast started around the 2014. <laughs> so See, maybe... I would love to take credit for that, except for the fact that we're all those, like, pre-2015 became yeah, exactly. polyamorous people, <laughs> you know? We probably, yeah, I had some... <laughs> we probably didn't help not great that phenomenon. about yeah. jealousy initially. <laughs> We're yeah. better now. We've but... changed our tune, yeah. Uh -huh. For sure, yeah. So Okay, so I'd say that that gets wrapped up in it. Maybe a little bit related to this is what I decided to call intellectual disassociation, which is having a rigid adherence to basically how logical and rational you are. You're a Vulcan. Yeah, okay, now this is the deal, is I don't think many people at first blush would consider that behavior or mindset to be spiritual bypassing. But I've seen it come up so many times in my client base, and it does tend to fall along gender lines. Like, I do think we tend to reward or at least think of men, like straight men in particular, as being super rational and logical. And the number of men that I've worked with where, oh, you're not rational and logical. You're literally just using that so you don't have to feel something uncomfortable. Mm. Like, because I can tell you have feelings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> or with a lot of clients, it's, oh, yeah, you have feelings. It's okay to feel angry. But the rest of it is you're just being rational and logical, right? And your partner is being totally emotional. So, like, I consider, and sometimes this is, like, where some of the stoicism bros come yeah. in like the more toxic side of of stoicism where it true like i do truly think it is like an avoidance tactic have we ever have we ever sort of coined the term broicism because that just occurred to me right now that broicism I'd be surprised if it didn't come up in our stoicism episode yeah, yeah. right it seems like it should have <laughs> yeah i don't know that's interesting yeah. broicism crowd yeah yeah i like and just to be clear i think there's a ton of value in stoic philosophy like i actually enjoy a lot of it but yeah it can really easily lead to that kind of yeah i guess the spiritual bypassing version of it i was going to say the one i notice a lot for for men in particular is using the kind of logic or stoicism as a type of spiritual bypassing specifically about fear oh. uh, that i think fear is one of those things that as men kind of taught you're not allowed to feel that right that that makes you weak and cowardly and unattractive and all that kind of stuff and so where I see it show up is that kind of, well, I'm going to instead explain how logically it just makes sense that 
other people need to change their behavior or my kind of potentially toxic behavior to try to protect myself from fear is justified through this kind of guise of logic or stoicism or whatever. But that's one that I've noticed. I've noticed myself do it in the past, but I see that one a lot because I think fear is, like you said, anger. Sure. That's, that's acceptable, I think. But yeah, things like even sadness in the right circumstance, it's like, okay, yeah. But fear is one of those ones that I think is very, ironically, very scary for men to express or to admit to, mm-hmm. you know, to a partner or something. Right. That's where I can see that kind of, well, I'm just going to use logic to instead try to get across what I want to say rather than feel it myself. And they don't even know that they're doing it. Let's see. Another example here is a dogmatic belief in a particular charismatic spiritual leader or a guru. You know, this is where we get into codependent type behaviors. If this is someone you know personally or even like cultish behavior of that kind of, I'm going to put all of my, offload all of my decision making or important things about my life into this following of this one person and their teachings or their music or whatever it is. I do want to go back again to non-monogamy a little bit there because I feel like especially at some of those LA parties there were certain people that were really renowned in the non-monogamous community and so people would look to them perhaps for guidance or everyone wants to date this person or whatever along those lines and that is a question of are we going to be expressing our own individuality or just looking to someone for all the answers and Mm. In certain communities that maybe maybe they have great things to say, but maybe they don't have great things to say. And perhaps we should be a little bit more careful and specific in who it is that we turn to in those ways. For sure. I think that's uh, coming back to the key is the dogmatic piece of it's that I'm going to try to find what are like the rules or the things I can distill from this so I can just do those things, repeat those things try to feel those things so I don't have to make the hard decisions of actually figuring out what's the right thing to do in certain situations. And that's a theme that comes up a lot on this show is just that there's not a lot of just clear rules that will always apply in all situations. Sure. I think this is a cool topic because it's that thing of everything we're talking about in this has good stuff to it and has good uses that, that can be really productive and really helpful, but it can cross this line into becoming this bypassing. The last one we have on our list here is strongly identifying with yourself being an enlightened being or spiritually superior person. So being a little bit cheeky by saying identifying as an enlightened being, but that kind of thing of I really identify with how chill I am all the time, or like I'm known as the one who's so unflappable. I'm ice cold. I'm always really rational, or I'm always at peace. No worries. Always secure. Those things aren't, again, not necessarily bad in themselves, but when you have to kind of fight hard to maintain that identity can lead to that temptation to be like, well, I've just got to spiritually bypass because if I feel these things, that's not me. I'm not like allowed to. It reminded me of a funny thing, another anecdotal thing that's come up in my work with clients that I started to identify that there is a certain type of person who like really proudly identifies as having a secure attachment style. Oh, and often, yeah. in re- yeah. often in reality, they're actually just avoidant. Huh. Like, like that's been a weird particular trope that started to huh. come up is weirdly, I feel like the people who actually are secured aren't Don't often have to going talk around about it. talking about it. <laughs> right. 
That's an, that's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that one, but that yes. makes sense. That's yeah. one I'm, I'm keeping an eye on that trend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> interesting question of ego, inflated ego and stuff there as yes. well. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So we want to move on to talking about why people spiritually bypass. What exactly is going on here? Because again, all of these things that we've discussed, they're not necessarily bad. I think done in correct dosages. If you're not just overwhelmingly your recommended dosage, exactly, <laughs> just pouring, you know, an entire carton of sugar into your matcha latte, that might be a little much. <laughs> what a metaphor! You, you got to yeah, take a, really. take it in small doses, exactly. So the last study that we talked about, the opiate of the masses, published in Spirituality Clinical Practice. It identifies four reasons that spiritual bypassing may happen or some of the causes of spiritual bypassing. So the first one is to escape from reality or the ordinariness of life. The next one is to avoid pain. The third is to cope with problematic social contexts. And then finally, to avoid the negative influence of religious leaders and communities. Whoa. That's, yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, I didn't even think about that. I think we talked about this in the context of relationships, where we said, you know, if you have similar beliefs or similar values, it's like, oh, that's going to override the fact that they treat me poorly or whatever. I think that this can show up in spiritual communities too, where it's, oh, this person is maybe abusing their position of leadership or they're shitty in this case, but because we're in this religion together or I have this one, I'm going to think, well, it, it can't be them because we share this belief and I believe that anyone who believes this is good. Therefore, it, it can't be a problem with them. You know, I've got to find a way around this. And so that's that spiritual bypassing, which I've seen lead to a lot of snarky, passive aggressive comments, usually. <laughs> Can I ask the to cope with problematic social contexts? Is that... Yeah. I don't know. It, well, for instance, I have heard of certain communities where a person is getting divorced, for instance, and they're kind of shunned by that community just because they would even think about getting divorced or be in the process of getting divorced. I've heard other people say, well, I would never get divorced because that's not in scripture or whatever. But I do also wonder if it's because they want to avoid the repercussions of the community saying that's not an okay thing. Sure. I mean, a lot, to me, honestly, if it were up to me, I would just collapse all of these reasons into avoiding pain and discomfort. Sure. Yeah. Because that's what it all tends to chuck up to, whether it is there's something about my life, reality that's uncomfortable to me, or I'm in a social context, or I'm in a weird religion or cult or whatever, that's where the cognitive dissonance is getting too uncomfortable. Like really, it, it to me, all boils down to avoiding the pain and discomfort yeah. of something, whether it's external, internal, whatever. When you were having a hard time in your relationships, did that cause you to be like, I'm going to turn to this thing in order to avoid the pain? Did your brain do that or was it kind of just done without you really thinking about it that hard? Did you make the decision? Where was the chicken and where was the egg? Oh, God, I don't know. Wow. Both the chicken and egg were in my brain. I don't know. <laughs> Did you make the decision I, I knowingly? I really don't know. Like, no, I don't think there was a part of me that thought about it that black and white where I'm uncomfortable or I'm struggling with something. 
ergo, I'm, I yeah. will do this thing. It will, There's more in the soup than that for me. Some of it is like what you talked about early on in the episode that sometimes we can feel, oh, well, I'm disempowered in my relationship because you know, maybe my partner doesn't listen to me or we just fight all the time or they're not willing to work on the relationship. And so if I can just work on myself as much yeah. as possible, if I can just make myself perfect or make myself not need anything or basically just turn myself into a monk or a nun who's just like floats above the ground and doesn't need anything, then the relationship will work. Mm, yeah, yeah which... Yeah. When you say it like that, it's like, well, clearly that's silly and isn't going to work. But sometimes you can get so desperate in a relationship yeah. situation that's not pleasant, you know, because like really you just want to be happy and you want the other person to be happy. And sometimes you could just end up in this situation where it's like, well, I need to shrink myself or like fit myself into this particular shape in order for that to work. Yeah, it sounds like it's a coping mechanism that's potentially happening without you knowing, without you making like a, a concerted effort to do the thing. You're just yeah, trying to go, yeah, in a direction of what's going to help me feel better about the situation. Yes, yeah. 100%. Yeah, and I think that even though we might see this, you know, portrayed in a movie or a song, like the substance use example, it's like we might see that and go, oh, obviously they're portraying that someone's made this choice of this way to cope with their life that they're unhappy with. But I think the reality of it when a person's doing it is it's more of this gradual slide into this This makes things more manageable. Let me do more of it. Let me do more of it with whether it's meditation or exercise or spirituality or whatever. It's like, oh, this thing worked a little bit. I'm going to do more of that. Oh, that this is solving my problem. And I, I think it makes sense because it does help some that's the whole point that's the slippery slope yeah. is that these things do help but they can also distract yeah because it, and it could be something that doesn't seem that nefarious it could be my partner and i fight all the time but when we get into kink space together and play out this particular scene like then it feels really good afterwards then we feel really connected and i feel really loved and they feel really loved and like we don't fight for the rest of the day but then we're at each other's throats, you know, six days a week. And so we keep turning towards this particular thing. Or for some couples I've worked with, it's like, yeah, we're at each other's throats. And then we do Molly together. We go do an ayahuasca retreat together where, you know, it's a especially like a spiritualized version of substance use sometimes, mm -hmm. which again, I, I, I don't want to knock it necessarily. I don't want to knock it, but... It, it really is that when there's the pattern over time of like, this is the only time when things feel good in the relationship. So we keep turning towards this thing, whatever it is. And what happens when it stops working? That too, right? Right. Yeah. So we're going to go on and talk about how this differs from healthy coping mechanisms. Uh, what can we do about it if we think we might be someone who's spiritually bypassing? But first, we're going to take a quick break to talk about how you can support this show. If you do really enjoy this show, it helps us out a ton. We put the show out there to everyone for free. And if you just take a moment to listen to our advertisers, check out our Patreon. If this is stuff you value, it really does go a long way to help us keep giving this content out to everyone for free. And if you can't, just give it a listen and then keep listening to the rest of the episode. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. Ch -ch 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 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. For a long time now, we've been fans of AdamandEve.com for getting sex toys or lingerie or accessories, things like that. It's just a fantastic resource with a huge selection. And now, not only do we have a fantastic offer, but we also have a promo code that will work on AdamMail.com and Eve'sToys.com, which are their site specifically for LGBTQ audiences. And our code is fantastic. It's 50% off of almost any item in the store and free discreet shipping when you use our code MULTI. Yes, we love adamandeve.com and have for years. They are our oldest and longest sponsor, and they just keep on giving great gifts to us and to our listeners. You can bring more pleasure and satisfaction into your bedroom by going to adamandeve.com, adammail.com, or evestoys.com and select any one item. It can be, you know, an adventurous new toy or anything you desire, something fun, something sexy, whatever sounds good. So just enter offer code MULTI at checkout and you'll get 50% off almost any item plus free shipping. That's MULTI, M-U-L-T-I at adamandeve.com, adammail.com or evestoys.com. This is an exclusive offer that is specific to this podcast and it's better than any offer that is currently available on their site. So again, use code MULTI to get you not just the 50% discount, but also the 100% free shipping code M-U-L-T-I. And we're back. So now the question, is this really all that bad, though? What's at risk? So to start this one off, one is, as we've mentioned a lot, is this stagnation and passivity that these problems can perpetuate without ever being resolved. Because I'm just finding ways to kind of avoid dealing with them or feeling them at all. Another could be this then alienation and disconnection from others around you. So this could be, as we mentioned, being dismissive of needs or requests or even boundaries of other people, whether that takes the form of, oh, you know, good, good vibes only. I don't, I don't want to listen to that. Or it's kind of feeling like someone else should spiritually bypass instead of dealing with their problem. Like, just do what I did. You know, you shouldn't feel jealousy. Just read these books and then you won't feel it. Or just, you know, recite this mantra and you won't feel it. Or just pray about it and you'll be okay as a way of like, I'm not dealing with your problems. And that can end up leading you to be alienated from the others around you. Uh, so this can show up in a lot of different ways. Yeah, there can also be a risk of internalized shame. You know, Emily, you asked that question of like, well, what happens when whatever thing it is stops working for you? And that's the thing is, inevitably, you're going to feel things. Inevitably, you're going to feel negative emotions. You're going to feel discomfort. Even if you have a wonderful life, that's just a part of life. You're going to feel some kind of discomfort. Someone's going to disappoint you. Someone's going to hurt your feelings. You're going to have to go through something you didn't think you were going to have to go through. So it's like you're going to feel something, quote unquote, negative. And whatever spiritual technique or coping mechanism you have, at some point, it's like it's not going to insulate you. And that can create this sense of internalized shame where it's like, oh, I'm doing all the right things. Why am I feeling this way? Or I thought that, you know, my meditation made me feel so blissed out last time. How come 
I'm still feeling this way now this time around, right? So like sometimes you can set yourself up there. I know, again, on the meta level with the polyamorous community, that sense of, oh, I'm feeling jealousy. I'm not a good polyamorous person. I'm feeling envy. I'm not doing this right. Uh, As we talked about before, there can be almost an addictive draw to not just particular substances, if that's what's been getting you through relationship issues, but also certain behaviors. It can set you up to maybe have a higher tolerance than you should have for inappropriate behaviors from others or a higher tolerance for being abused or mistreated. Because again, if you feel like, well, really the problem is me, I just need to work on my reactions. I just need to become the person who's totally unflappable, then it'll be okay for people to treat me like shit, basically, which is which is not great. And then on the flip side, it can set you up for an abandonment of personal responsibility, you know? So whether it's feeling disempowered in a relationship, whether it's, I had this belief that, oh, I can't be this vulnerable or, oh, I can't ask my partner for this, so I just need to swallow it and take it, or always dodging ownership. This idea of like, oh, my partner's upset with what I did. Well, sounds like they need to figure their shit out or they need to be Mm. more logical about it or they need to, yeah, they need to figure their shit out, right? That it sets you up to, yeah, just to not be very empowered in your relationships, I think. I'm curious when you found yourself doing this in the past, was there a time where you eventually found, hey, this isn't working out in the way that I want it to, or it clearly is just a coping mechanism that's trying to allow me to brush off the stuff that I really need to look into or focus on in the relationship? Was there a time where that switch happened? Or do you think it was gradual? Yes and no. So I think my progress on this has been nonlinear. I will Mm. say that first and foremost. I think there's been some ups and downs and back and forth. There is one moment that always stands out to me, and it was from many, many years ago when I was in a relationship with someone who who wasn't great, who wasn't really nice to me, but this was such a formative moment because I had said to him like that I was upset about something or that there was something that he did that I really didn't like, but I was like, but let's talk about it later. And then I went and I meditated, and then I came out of it later and was like, oh, we don't need to talk about it anymore. Like I meditated and now it's okay. And he was the one who was actually like, no, actually, we should talk about it. Like, I'm glad that you meditated. I'm glad you feel calm, but we should talk about this. And that may have been the first time I got that message directly from someone that I was in relationship with. Now, that didn't make me learn my lesson necessarily, but but it it was part of of that soup, I suppose, that ultimately Mm. helped me to be able to see that behavior for what it was. Yeah. I mean, that kind of goes back to the idea of enabling too, that we talked about like with codependency and things on previous episodes. But sometimes these things don't become apparent until you're in a different relationship or make a new friend or change jobs. Like that was one for me when I changed jobs a couple of years ago was like, wow, I didn't realize quite how bad my previous job was in terms of just like the work culture and stress and things like that, because I was in it and I'd been in it for so many years that I just didn't even see it. It's just, oh, well, I've just got to find ways to cope and get through it the best I can. And, and sometimes we do for a certain amount of time, but it, it sometimes takes that counterexample to finally go, wowee, I had no idea. I had no idea there was a different way this even could be. It's great to find perspective on that finally. 
I'm really interested in checking out the difference between what might be a healthy coping mechanism versus what is just spiritual bypassing. I'm going to brush something under the rug and hope that I never have to look at it or see it again. And I think it's difficult sometimes to know, like, when am I crossing over that line into this is unhealthy versus this is something that's going to be a tool to help me in the moment when things are challenging. So you can ask yourself, whatever it is that you're doing, a a meditation practice, a yoga practice, prayer, you know, I'm going to read the Bible or read Walt Whitman because it calms me down or whatever. (laughs) Dedeker's definitely into that one. Call outs, endless call outs. There you go. (laughs) Exactly. Call outs on top of call outs. So you can ask yourself, does this practice encourage either turning away and avoiding versus turning towards and accepting? I love that because I think that so many of these things are about acceptance and are about understanding that we in the world have things that we can control and things that we can't control. And I think at its best, maybe things like spirituality allow us to be able to see our place in the world and that we are smaller than we think we are in a lot of ways, but that we also have the capacity to change and make things better or worse. And we have the capacity to talk to our partners about challenges that we have and that we face. And so if your practice enables you to be able to do that, if your meditation allows for some clarity, for instance, then that's great. But if you are doing meditation to try to get away from a problem, maybe that's an issue. You can also question whether you are denying the reality of your problem versus seeking solutions for the problem. Also look at things like, am I just getting a short-term benefit? Am I band-aiding over the issue versus a long-term benefit? I, I know my partner has a very steady meditation practice. He meditates like every day for 10 minutes at least. And he says that it's enabled him to look at some of his feelings as things that occur, but that aren't necessarily realities or truths, that he can kind of let them happen, look at it objectively, and then know that like new feelings and emotions are going to happen at a later time as well. I know for myself, being able to look objectively at a feeling, if I'm feeling really tense about something over a long period of time, I know that it's going to be fleeting, like it's not going to last forever. And that, I think, is something that meditation, for instance, can teach us, that nothing is forever. I wanted to talk about the acceptance piece a little bit. So we touched on this back in episode 312, where we kind of did a dive into psychological flexibility and acceptance and commitment therapy. And I want to clarify, this this stuff can be so tricky and so slippery. It's like there can be this shadow side of acceptance that is the oh, well, this is just shitty. I just have to deal with it, right? I just have to accept that it is what it is and this is how it's going to be versus, you know, this sense of I can accept the way that I feel. Like I can accept the feelings that are coming up for me about this situation. And now what does that tell me to do? Like I can accept that, I don't know, the state of the world makes me really angry. Mm. And so I can talk about that anger. I can share that. I can use that anger to motivate me to make some kind of change, right? Which is different from, I guess, maybe like defeat or resignation, perhaps, and the same in in relationships. And I I don't think it's a mistake that we keep coming back to the example of someone like not treating you very well in relationships, because 
yeah, it's like you can have this version of acceptance that really is turning away and avoiding. That really is, yeah, my partner doesn't treat me well or my partner's doing something I really don't like. I just have to deal with it versus I can actually get curious about what I'm feeling. I can let myself feel it. And then that can inspire me to take some kind of action or at least evaluation, right? Of like, how do I, how do I deal with this? How do I deal with this problem? Something else that came up, Emily, when you were talking about denying the reality of the problem versus seeking a solution for the problem, that's another one where I think this depends on the situation. So there are certain things that there is not a solution to the problem, Mm -hmm. right? That that just is. It is what it is, quite literally, right? And, you know, some some examples of that could be, uh, you know, a chronic injury, or a disability or something, or it could just be the fact that we're all going to die someday that could can be really distressing. And so in those cases, yeah, finding a way to get as much acceptance of that thing is, is the healthy choice, right? That is the only thing you can do. And that's better, I would say, than just constantly being in a state of distress over, over the fact that nothing's permanent, like you said, Emily. On the other hand, like we've been talking about in relationships, it can lead us to stay in a shitty relationship. I don't, I don't even want to say shitty, but a relationship that's not a good fit, right? Maybe your partner doesn't treat you shitty because they're a bad person, but maybe they just have very different values about things than you do. Maybe you align in certain ways, but not others to the point that this is causing a lot of pain and suffering potentially for both of you. And that is a problem you can fix or at least do things about, right? You you have some influence there. And I think that's one of the keys here is, is seeing like, do I have any influence on this thing? And it might not be so black and white of just, oh yeah, I can just fix it. Why don't I just do that? So then we get into the other kind of shitty dismissive side of like, oh, your feelings aren't valid because you should just fix it. It's like if someone's upset about their job, it's like, just get a different one. It's like, well, it's not that easy, right? That's mm-hmm. not always how that works. But on the other hand, there is something when you use spiritual bypassing to just accept being in a, a shitty, unhealthy work situation forever because you're not doing anything to try to get out of it, right? So again, it's that balance of these things are useful at times. It's Maybe it's like, I've got to use some of these techniques to get through working at this job at all and to try to still have enough energy left to be applying for other jobs or learning a different skill or something to try to get out of it versus, you know, just completely bypassing and not doing any of those things. So with all of it, like, I I really just want to be clear that, that we're not saying to anyone like, oh, just, you can fix anything. You should just do that. Just put your mind to it. Just think positive thoughts. And then it's solved. Cause that's like another spiritual bypassing all over again, but a different way. Well, what do we do about all this? If you think that this is you or you see some of yourself in this, what do you do about it? So the first one here, and Jennifer, you wrote this in the notes, but is to get a vibe check. <laughs> I know, I was like, source. what is that, man? What are the vibes, man? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a reality yeah. check. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Just an outside perspective, right? To ask someone you trust, this could be a counselor or a therapist or a coach, or it just could be a trusted friend or someone that you believe would be honest with you. And ideally someone who's not into the same particular spiritual practice, because they might have a little bit of motivation to defend the thing. Even if maybe if they were being honest, they would see, yeah, I think you're going too far with it. Uh, Maybe get someone from a different perspective, although not someone who's so antagonistic that they're going to say anything you do with that is spiritual bypassing. I guess that one's a little bit of a challenge, but 
maybe get a few different opinions. Mm-hmm. Something you can experiment with is if you think that there's a particular behavior that you suspect might be an avoidance behavior from yourself, you can see what if I disconnect from this behavior, this practice, this substance of choice, and track what happens. And I think it's good to create a specific container to experiment in. So as in, okay, tonight, while my partner's out on a date, I'm going to avoid getting high. I'm going to do other things and like see what that's like. Or this week, I'm going to put my daily meditation practice on pause and just see what happens. Or, you know, the next time that my partner is unpacking their stressful day with me, I'm going to avoid just throwing platitudes at them. I'm going to see what it's like to just listen and empathize if that's what they want, right? If they've specifically asked you for some platitudes, that's different. But again, always have to shout out the Triforce of Communication. And I think it's helpful to just find something to experiment with and like keep track. You know, you can track in a journal what comes up for you, the good, the bad, the ugly, the feelings that come up. And that can give you some information about what shows up when this particular element is removed. Even on a lighter note, this is one that I've found myself trying to do in the last several months is when I'm in between things, I will often immediately reach for my earbuds to listen to a podcast or watch a YouTube video or somehow stimulate myself, even if the thing I'm feeling overwhelmed by is how much stimulation there is. There's so many things to do. There's my to-do list. There's all these calls. And I find myself just knee-jerk reaction reaching for some kind of escape. You could say maybe some type of spiritual bypassing. And this just happened to me earlier today where I was like, you know what? I'm going to not do that right away. I might eventually, but just for a moment, I'm just going to let myself be not stimulated. And it was honestly kind of scary because I was in a state of just being very overwhelmed. And it was that like, whew, okay, boy, yeah, there's something here that's kind of made me aware that there's Mm -hmm. something going on right now. The next thing you can do is think about integration into your life. So ask yourself if the benefits of your practice carry over into other aspects of your life. So for example, when we talked about the kink practice or going to kink every time you and your partner are having a challenging time and you find that that really works out well for you, but does doing that actually help you in the rest of your relationship or is it just acting as kind of a band-aid to the bigger problems that are plaguing the two of you? So looking at things like that, Also, this is one that when you, Dedeker, were talking about your own spiritual bypassing, I know that during that same time with potentially the same partner, I was doing yoga like five to six days a week. And that was just to get myself out of my head for like this one hour and to do something external that made my body feel really good. But then when I came back to my regular life after that hour, I had to figure out and sit with my regular life. And so that felt sort of like a band-aid during that time as well, because the things that it is supposed to be giving you, while they can be really good, I think the underlying stuff wasn't being addressed. And so therefore, it wasn't having the effect that I wanted by just going and doing all the yoga all the time. I guess that comes back to that evaluating, is this giving me a short-term benefit versus a long-term benefit? Yeah. And, you know, there are definitely great benefits to it, but in that moment, perhaps that's not actually what I needed. 
So just ask yourself, do you feel like you can actually sit and live with those uncomfortable emotions and come out on the other side? Or am I just putting a ton of Band-Aids all over my body and hoping that that'll make me feel better in some way? And lastly, with all of this is have some patience and compassion for yourself in this. If you if you see this and you go, yikos, I'm definitely doing some of this. Clearly on this episode, we've all... All of us are like, <laughs> right? like, yeah, there's areas where we do it. And I think that that's not necessarily a bad thing, but becoming aware of it and realizing, okay, what's a way I could start changing that? What are some little things that I could do, like some of these suggestions? It doesn't have to be a oh, okay, that wasn't the solution. Let me throw out this spiritual practice and find a different one that will work. Or, oh, it's oh, this didn't work. It must be that religion was the fault. I'm going to instead go to skepticism, atheist practices, and like maybe that's the answer. That it's more about just have some patience and see what little changes you can do. How does that change things? What are areas where you might have more agency than you realize? And what are areas where... This is just something that you need to accept. And even if you can't change it right away, maybe there's other things that you can start to slowly move in the direction that you want. I really do think that sometimes you just need a dose of relief. And and I Mm -hmm. think that that's okay if it's in the short term. I think it's okay if it's not the only thing that you're turning to, to feel okay. But this is something that's come up in my practice doing somatic experiencing work with people in particular is like sometimes you're working with people where they're not fully out of a traumatic situation in their relationship or in their life or their living situation is unstable. And I mean, I think this this comes up for all different kinds of therapies and practices, but it's like sometimes I can't change this person's circumstances that they're actively working through. And by helping to give them a little bit of a safe space and a little bit of relief and a little bit of validation, even though it's not really solving the problem, maybe bringing them from like a level 10 to a level nine is still something that can help them access, again, more of that sense of agency or more clarity of thought around the situation. And, you know, that that's kind of the, the more broad example but sometimes I'm also like, I, I don't know, if you're just like miserable, you're spiraling by yourself while your partner's on a date or something like that and getting on your yoga mat helps you get through that. I'm like, yeah, do it. If it's like, this is the 15th time this has happened and I've had to turn to the yoga mat every single time and and I'm just like miserable the minute that I'm off the mat. I'm like, that's maybe we need to examine that, right? But But it's the kind of thing where it's like, sometimes you need to reach for some short-term relief. You know, you need to use some of these things as a coping mechanism in order to enable you to have that energy and well-being to actually look towards the bigger issues. So I do think a lot of this just requires some some self-honesty combined with self-compassion. So folks, we want to hear from you. So you can go to our Instagram stories. We're going to be throwing up this question. We want to hear, how do you know when you're spiritually bypassing something difficult? The best place to share your thoughts with other listeners is on our episode discussion channel in our Discord server, and you can also post about it in our private Facebook group. You can get access to these groups and join our exclusive community by going to patreon.com slash multiamory. In addition, you can share with us publicly on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Multiamory is created and produced by Jace Lindgren, Emily Matlack, and me, Dedeker Winston. Our production assistants are Rachel Shenowork and Carson Collins. Our theme song is Forms I Know I Did by Josh and Anand from the Fractal Cave EP. 
The full transcript is available on this episode's page on multiamory.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.